You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis in the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Box. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of BrewHoops.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. As the mailbag rolls on, this is going to be part three of this mailbag. And I've got a bit of a confession to make here. I just, before I started recording this, checked in on where we finished up the mailbag last night. And I don't know whether this was uh, the, the late finish, the West Coast game that I can put the blame on for this, but... I didn't really understand why, but you guys missed my you guys missed my outro there. I don't know what happened in the editing process. Maybe that's what happens when it's uh, one one thirty in the morning and I'm recording and editing for the the second or third day in a row. I'm not sure. I don't know what happened there. Fortunately, you did get to what was the end of that uh, the the talk about Giannis and Giannis's future, which has become pretty topical with the whole Steph Curry stuff overnight. Uh, I certainly tweeted out my thoughts there. I, I think that the the whole recruiting stuff between players, even though Steph has denied that, whatever, I don't really care. The the talk between players, this is nothing new. And uh, again, it's just a continuation of something that is not going to go away. Uh, remarkably, Giannis isn't even a free agent this summer, which is what we just spoke about on on yesterday's pod. Uh, he's got another, <laughs> another 12 months after this season is done in Milwaukee anyway, which is the kind of the crazy thing uh, about it. But when you are a guy that uh, looks like he's on the path to a second straight MVP, then people are going to be talking about that. And it's unfortunate because I think some of the time people miss out on what Giannis is doing on the floor. And I think it's kind of a shame that this is a guy that, as I said, is on a path to win back-to-back MVPs. And I think the the order of things that the the media and the narratives around Giannis has become, first of all, what he can't do on the floor, which for so long has been a shot. Secondly, the fact that he doesn't have enough around him to win a title, which is undetermined. We know they went to the conference finals last year and they're looking pretty damn good right now. And then thirdly, where he should go after he leaves Milwaukee. And I think that's sad because I don't think you get the the actual attention and credit he deserves for the stuff he's doing on the floor. But another thing that we teased yesterday, didn't quite get to, Dante DiVincenzo shooting. I tweeted out some of the numbers there, which we're also going to go through as we start this a portion of the mailbag it's been a struggle after a nice start for him so this is where we're going to start frank and i are going to talk about dante talk about sterling talk about dj wilson those three guys coming into the season that uh you know we weren't really sure what to expect from but we did have high hopes for them and then we're going to move into some of the other stuff including the mid-season tournament what this actually would mean for milwaukee how we would feel about it and as always don't forget to respond to us on Twitter at Locked on Bucks and also myself at Kane Pittman, Frank at Frank Madden NBA. And let us know if you disagree with what we're saying here. We like the conversation. We like interacting with you guys. Let's get into it. All 
All right, let's go down the other end of the spectrum now. Uh, we have a question on Dante. This comes from Big Daddy D at fourteen. Coco chicks. Um, you know, that's a, that's a, I'm not. I'm the last person that can say anything about people's ads. So uh, I, I I was rolling with the with the buck sauce for a while there. But this question. Love the all-around game and effort from Dante, but do you guys think he has signed an endorsement deal with the Bricklayers Union from beyond the arc? Now, <laughs> I will say, last year, a little rough for Dante, 26% from three. Uh, this season started really well, and we were, we were you know, certainly uh, pretty optimistic about the way that he started the season in November. Uh, 16 games, shot uh, 35.9%. Very respectable and obviously a big leap from his rookie season. Unfortunately, that hasn't really stuck. December, he shot just 27%. And uh, so far, just two games, but he's only at 20%, 28% uh, from three in, in January. So um, not exactly trending in the right direction from Dante from three. Uh, and, you know, I will say that uh, I'm probably... I still think that he needs to become a reliable, at least an average three-point shooter, and that needs to be consistent um you know to really take him to another level and we've spoke a lot about his finishing ability as well and needs to refine his offensive game overall i would say but uh certainly the big positive for him is that he has become a guy that regardless of scoring regardless of missing shots has still been a a positive impact player particularly on the defensive end but uh look the shot a little bit concerning the way it's trending at the moment i would say because he seems to be missing i mean the big thing is when he misses uh, he can miss pretty badly yeah, he's one of those guys who always looks confident when he's shooting the ball. And oh, then, yeah. <laughs> like, the result sometimes is just like, ee, you know. And, and we saw a couple of those early against the Spurs. Um, you know, again, he just jacks him. I think, you know, he's – it's interesting because he, he does have remarkable confidence. Like, I, I think he's a guy who is very good at just, like, he, I don't think he overthinks any of, any of this stuff. Um, Which I and, think is a good thing. Yeah, I think I think so too. I mean, um, you know, I think Giannis. Uh, I think that's been a positive for him this year too, and just in terms of not worrying about it. You know, I think he made that comment the other night. Like that's the biggest difference this year is he just doesn't worry if he misses threes. Um, and so the, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, Dante shooting thirty-two percent, uh, Pat Connaughton once again thirty-one percent uh, right now. Um, you know, these are guys that play very real minutes in the Bucks wing rotation, shoot high volume of threes. You know, Sterling Brown has fallen out of the rotation of late. He's at 33%. You know, he was obviously better last year as well. Uh, so, you know, it's sort of one of those things. Again, it kind of belies the kind of a, a fundamental issue that the Bucks are f- more uh, of a quantity than quality team from three-point range in terms of shooting. Um, you know, the fact that Giannis leads your team in three point attempts, uh, while, you know, shooting 32.6% probably is probably the best example of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this kind of is one of those things too. Like what is the downside scenario for the Bucks in the playoffs? Like, well, you got a lot of guys who are not, are, you know, proven, not great three point shooters who are not bashful about shooting them. And if they shoot 20% rather than 30% for a series, you'd increase your degree of difficulty pretty significantly in terms of winning, winning that series. So, um, so yeah, I think it's definitely kind of a concern. And obviously with Dante specifically, uh, you know, he's obviously young. I mean, this is, you know, he really didn't play much at all last year. Uh, and so I think the good news is he does those things you mentioned that keep him on the floor 
So he's not living and dying by the three-point shot, you know? Like, if he comes in and misses a couple threes, he's not going to have to worry about, like, oh, now he's going to be benched. So he at least has that, um, you know, freedom, I think. Uh, and obviously Bud encourages these guys to shoot shoot these shots. Um, so, again, I think could his shot selection be better? Yes, I think it could. Um, you know, I think his willingness to jack from three is, is maybe needs to be reined in a little bit. Uh, some of the like long contested ones that, that he's willing to take just because he's in rhythm. Um, but uh, again, you know, his, his percentage, I think, will always be a little depressed just because of his willingness to shoot those threes, including ones that are, are more difficult. Um, but obviously, yeah, I mean, if he can get that number up, um, that would definitely be, be a big positive in terms of making sure that he's a consistently positive contributor, not just on the defensive end, but on the offensive end as well. Are you the type of fan that knows football so well that you could choose any game and call it? Well, my bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, NBA, and the start of college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with my bookie. If you're the type of guy that likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of big favorites this week, parlays are the, are the perfect way to bet because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. That means if you deposit $2,000, You'll get an extra thousand bucks in free money to play with. All you have to do is use the promo code Locked On NBA to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code Locked On NBA to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, we've got another Dante question here. This is from at Anna Scrobus. She asks. Uh, she saw another question about the trade deadline. So going off of that, how untouchable is Dante? Do you think that it is likely or even possible for him to be traded despite his production and role this year? If he is traded, what do you expect the return to be? The end of that is kind of hard to, to really pinpoint, like what would the return be or what would Dante's value be? But I will say right, right away, in terms of untouchable for mine, and I'm not sure how you feel about this, but clearly Giannis is untouchable. And then the only other player I might put in the untouchable list is Brooke Lopez, just because, I mean, what he's doing defensively is just, I mean, it's unbelievable what he's doing for this defense, the rim protection. Very spoke, yeah, it'd be cool if he was hitting some more threes. I might be willing to say that Brooke is nearly untouchable, but I, I don't think uh, untouchable is, is a word I want to be uh, putting on a guy like uh, DiVincenzo at this point. Yeah, I mean, untouchable is a word you reserve for a guy like Giannis. And if you say, I, I mean, my view is always if if you're using that term on guys like Dante, who are you know guys you want to keep for sure. You, you yeah. if if you're trying to make a big trade, you really don't want to include Dante because I think he does provide things that obviously you really like. He's you know versatile and he has obviously youth on his side. You know, it, we're, we're just seeing kind of again like he's not even a full season into playing NBA basketball and he's already a contributor uh you want to see where this goes and whether he can become a really good player you know and again I don't think he's like ever going to be an all-star type player but can he be a good starter I think for sure so um yeah I I just I hate the word untouchable for that reason um with guys who again are 
you really don't want to trade guys. Um, I just think that's, that's a, that's just a different thing than guys who are like the franchise players that, you know, like there aren't enough draft picks to, 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 to get to trade for, right? Like Giannis, I don't care what any team offers the bucks for Giannis. Like there's no return that is worth it. Right. Right. I mean, unless he tells you trade me because I'm leaving, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting out. If you, if, if you don't trade me, uh, that's the only scenario where, uh, okay. there's a trade out there for Giannis that, you know, I think I'd, I'd want to do. Um, so anyway, but, but yeah, I, I don't think there is a, an untouchable for me. And, um, are there guys that would be difficult to trade or that, you know, would be hard to find the right value? Like, like Bledsoe is kind of hard to trade in the sense that he obviously has the cloud of the, the playoffs, previous playoff failures hanging over him. Um, so who's going to want a 30 year old, uh, very, you know, very good, uh, on a good contract point guard. Um, but he's not going to be part of any rebuilding teams, youth movement. Right. Uh, and if you're a playoff contender, you're probably looking at his playoffs and, and having, you know, the same concerns that would lead the bucks be potentially willing to, to move him. So, um, I think he's harder to maybe, uh, find a great deal for. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, like I like Bledsoe is untouchable or something like that. It's more just, yeah, you're probably not going to trade him just because there's probably not going to be a deal that makes sense. But, but yeah, I, th- I just, I think as you were alluding to, I, th- I do think that's a fair bit different than, um, <laughs> obviously like a Giannis type type guy. Yeah. So I, I think I'm on the same page as you. So untouchable maybe seems a touch aggressive, but is, has Dante gone up in my sort of feelings of, uh, I kind of want to keep this guy around. Yeah, for sure. Um, because at the start of the year, I, I didn't really have any idea what to expect from him. And um, as we were just talking about the shooting, the interesting thing to keep an eye on with Dante is he plays such a high energy uh, brand of basketball that uh, a point that I, I keep on bringing up, he is entering now a, a, a workload or a man of games that he's just never played at before. And you hope that A, his body holds up, and then uh, also, B, when, I mean, you talk about a jump shooter, like it's the longer he plays, you hope that that's not just a, a fatigue type thing and he'll be able to sort of get his rhythm again and improve there. But yeah, he's become a guy that I, I think you could see as a sort of a long-term role player for, for the Bucs. And, and that's great because uh, as Milwaukee looks to contend for years to come, you need those sorts of guys. Dante, obviously, only his second uh, year as a, a first-round draft pick. He's a guy you can keep around for cheap for a while. And I, I think that that's important. And uh, while we are, we've, we've had a couple on Dante now. The other two guys that we sort of, at the start of the season, and so often like throw uh, in together as the three sort of younger guys. We've got a question from Otto von Bismarck at Trey WB13. He says, do you gentlemen think the Bucks package, the Pacers first round pick with Sterling and DJ at the deadline? Uh, I guess that means and or at the deadline. If so, what do you think the return for that package could be? I mean, at this point, uh, and we've spoken about this, I, I don't think that there, I, my feeling would be that there wouldn't be a whole lot of hesitation if a deal was out there and it was the right deal for this team. I don't know what that would be, but it, it seems to me from uh, the, the sort of lack of minutes for those guys and, and both guys, particularly, I mean, I was super high on Sterling. I, I talked him up a lot. I actually thought at the start of the season at this point, I was, I was very wrong about this. I thought that uh, Sterling was going to be a guy when we spoke about would West Matthews start in the starting lineup. I thought, yeah, I can see Sterling coming in and and starting for him based on what we saw last season. I thought that he was really taking a step. <laughs> Unfortunately, 
unfortunately for Sterling, uh, the sort of really solid three-point shooting that we saw last season, and even in his first couple of games this year, has gone away. He's only shooting 32% from three, and perhaps even more concerning for him. Last year, he was he was up in the high 60s uh, in the restricted area. To, to, uh, this season so far, uh, he's less, uh, less than five feet from the basket. He's only shooting 51%. He's really, really struggled to finish at the basket. The three's not falling. Uh, he hasn't really seemed to make any improvements in his ability to to make plays off the dribble. Um, defensively, the other night, we saw that, that Bud didn't seem too happy with him missing a couple of defensive rotations. It's just been really rough for him. And I do think that he's a guy that's got some potential and potentially a future in a league. And maybe uh, another team out there might value that. So I, you know, I don't know whether the Bucks are going to make a trade, but I could certainly see... Uh, Sterling and, and maybe DJ because we spoke about him uh, last night but doesn't seem all that willing to play him and that makes you wonder Yeah I mean a year ago the Bucks were obviously in a really good spot winning a ton of games had a very stable you know rotation I would say and they had an opportunity to add Nikola Mirotic without giving up a rotation player at the deadline, and they they jumped on that. And I think it was a really good move. Um, unfortunately, it just didn't work out at all, right? I mean, Mirotic just didn't shoot in the playoffs, and um, that was obviously part of the story of of them losing to to the Raptors. So um, I think it's an interesting question. You know, is there a move like that this year where you could trade players that are maybe not part of the rotation? or otherwise, you know, not really critical to what the Bucks want to do and add a piece that uh, could be part of that rotation and could represent uh, an upgrade to, to what they have right now. Um, and again, you look at the Bucks rotation and they have, I would say, a lot of guys who are, you know, fit well and do stuff that Bud likes and, and that complements Giannis and kind of the rest of the group well. Um, but do they have like a ton of guys with really high-end talent? No, they don't, right? Um, so, so it's an, it's an interesting question. I mean, unfortunately, you know, as you said, I mean, the value for guys like Sterling and DJ is obviously not at a high point right now. Um, now again, like season is long. Um, last year DJ wasn't even playing and we didn't even know he had a pulse until basically mid December. Uh, and Sterling didn't play the first couple months of the season and then really kind of came along, uh, thereafter. So, uh, you know, again, I mean, we're something could happen if Ursan, you know, breaks his nose and is out, you know, a week or two. Um, who knows? You know, that could be the opportunity for either DJ or Sterling to reestablish themselves as, hey, they're really playing well and fitting in and doing the stuff that we hope that we would see from them more consistently this year. And then all of a sudden, okay, now do they have trade value and, you know, would you potentially look to move them? Well, if they're playing well, do you not want to move them? You can kind of talk yourself kind of either way on this. So I would not be at all surprised if, if one of those guys got moved. Um, one challenge is just from a salary matching perspective. I mean, if you're trying to bring in a good veteran player, uh, you know, you can't just send out Sterling Brown uh, and a first round pick and take back, you know, 10 or $15 million in salary. Um, now, if the Bucks had gotten that trade exception, they would have more flexibility. You can't combine the trade exception with like a bunch of players to try to add up salary. But uh, you know, you could, for instance, I mean, 
based on what we, you know, understood from sort of the cat math, I mean, I think they could have absorbed Davis Bertans this summer when the Spurs gave him away. Uh, that ship has sailed with how well he's played this year. Um, but, you know, some of the guys we've talked about and we've talked about uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, he makes eight and a half million. JJ Reddick's obviously been mentioned. Uh, I think Zach Lowe mentioned the Bucks might have interest in JJ Reddick. He's what, like 12 or 13 million. Um, you know, those guys don't make tons and tons of money, but it's hard to make the salaries work. I mean, again, you can't just throw Sterling and DJ and, and generally make a lot of deals work. You need to add more salary. And then obviously things become more complicated because then you're talking about, well, Urson is an expiring $7 million salary. He's an obvious guy in there. Uh, Robin Lopez, um, you know, would he be a guy, I mean, would the Bucks be willing to move him in a deal? Uh, you would hope they would be at least open to that as much as the Lopez brothers, uh, the Lopi have been an enjoyable part of this team so far this season. So uh, I, I think there's a good chance they make a move. I would be, surprised if it was a real substantial one at the deadline like I I don't I just don't expect that they'll make a deal that involves a player of the caliber of Redick or Bogdanovich coming back um and again I mean if if an if a big injury hits them um you know if, if Eric Bledsoe is you know out for the season with an injury and suddenly you don't have you know uh, your starting point guard or if George Hill suffers a long-term injury uh, then I think you certainly become a lot more desperate to make a move to acquire uh, a certain type of player. But, um, you know, again, I, I think right now the way things are going, uh, you know, you can argue it, it's easy to get complacent when you're winning at the level the Bucs are. Um, but it also, you know, again, if you make a move that backfires, then everyone's going to second guess you and say, well, wh why would you have broken up this group mm -hmm. that was playing so well together? So, you know, that's the irony of being this good is um, doing anything is easy to, to kind of question. But certainly, you know, we saw last year the Bucks weren't afraid to, to try to upgrade, to try to make moves. Uh, and I, I would hope that they're at least kicking the tires, looking at certain things, um, because, you know, part of it, too. I mean, I, I remember being nervous that Miritich would go to Philly last year. And so part of my excitement of getting him was just that Philly didn't get him. Uh, and, you know, certainly when we talk about some of these guys like, Bogdanovich mentioned as a possible, you know, Lakers target. Hey, I don't, I don't want the Lakers to get Bogdan Bogdanovich because um, I think he's he's good. I think he'd be a really great fit there. So uh, that's that's I think part of the the stress as well of being a, a fan of a great team is you know you're also keeping an eye out on all those other contenders out there. You know, Boston, like okay, I hope they don't get like a really good defensive center to kind of tie together that front line. Um, but uh, we'll see. I mean, still here. Uh, a little over, I guess, a month left here before for the deadline. Yeah, that's that's the crazy thing that you mentioned. How little time now? I mean, I, I know it's it's just a space of a few weeks, but when you talk about the NBA season, just flies by. You're like, oh, you're like, wow! It's like it's a month till the trade deadline. It's incredible. All this stuff is going to start to happen, um, and uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. I just think that with both those guys, and this will lead into our our next question from uh our friend kurt lightinger he says when i watch sterling and dj i see good good defenders with ceilings to potentially be great defenders when i watch them on offense uh i see guys struggling to find an identity what do you think their role should be on offense and what do you think they should work on well uh, i mean it's really tough because we've sort of spoke about this a little bit but uh, offensively uh, i don't know whether they've played 
consistently enough to really figure that out. And, and DJ, for instance, is a guy that uh, I've mentioned a few times. I just don't think that when he gets in the game, he's aggressively looking to do anything offensively. And you just sort of find him, uh, I mean, sure, in, in, in garbage time when he's got minutes, whatever, he gets the ball, he might get up a three. But when he's played, uh, has played time with the starters, it's like he's not, I don't know. I mean, he's just sort of standing out there. And I, I think that for, for DJ, a guy that is athletic, uh, you look at the things that uh, someone like Dante does much smaller. You always call him the energy small. And he is a guy that does a lot of things that you would like to see DJ doing. Fly in, crash the offensive glass, maybe look for putbacks, uh, give the Bucks second possessions, third possessions. And yes, you have to be able to shoot the three. That's sort of a prerequisite of this uh, Milwaukee offense. But I just think far too often uh, offensively when DJ's out there. And, and you know I think he's got a legitimate excuse in the way that it's hard to just come out and be expected that, okay, you need to deliver right now. Um, but that's the type of player I think he needs to be on this team where there's so many other talented guys offensively. He needs to be a guy that creates things out of nothing and uses his athleticism and his energy uh, to have an impact. Yeah, I mean, I think the bar for um, for either guy, I mean, it's not enormous on offense. Uh, I think with DJ, uh, I mean, you know, look at what Ursan does, right? It's not like Ursan is like creating offense or something like that. I mean, Ursan's basically spotting up, um, hitting the boards a little bit, uh, just basically making simple plays. Obviously, he's a solid passer for his size. Uh, again, it's, it's not like he's being asked to, to do a whole lot. Uh, and I think for DJ, you know, can he hit open threes? Uh, can he, you know, I think he has more skill set as, as a potential role man at times. Um, and, uh, and so I think, again, I mean, he's not as good as Arsan offensively. I think that's the big trade-off area with DJ. But um, I, again, I don't think he needs to play a really different brand of basketball from what he typically has um, so far. I mean, I think he's a guy who generally is very eager to move the ball. I don't think he's, you know, trying to do too much, even if, you know, when we see him in garbage time, is he chucking threes more than uh, he might when if he was, a ro- you know, playing in the rotation? I think so, right? But again, that's why it's really hard to judge guys off of what they do in the last five minutes of a game with, you know, a random group of guys who don't really fit particularly well as part of the kind of the end of the bench group. So, um, so yeah, I think DJ's, you know, role is, is, is probably pretty modest and kind of a, you know, even a, a good version of the world for him just cause you're mainly trying to get him out there for his defense. Uh, with Sterling, I think it's been really disappointing. You mentioned the struggles at the rim. That was an issue for him as a rookie. Uh, it did seem like he made strides there last year. Uh, it seemed like he made strides a little bit with his playmaking, occasionally being able to be kind of that second side pick and roll guy, you know, at least looking semi-competent, making a, a pass out of pick and roll. And um, just seems like this year that just hasn't been there at all. And so I think, uh, you know, sort of like what we say with, with Dante, um, you know, you're kind of alluding to it. I think he doesn't need to be a guy who's, you know, an offensive creator, focal point, whatever, but, knock down open jump shots, especially that corner shot, which, you know, historically he's been very good at. Uh, And then, you know, I'd say offensively, if he can make the simple play, make the right play, um, show some competency in the pick and roll. And then when he is driving to the basket, um, you know, make good decisions, you know, and I think that's, that's probably been his, his, uh, his, his undoing in a lot of ways um, here when you think about kind of his progression or kind of lack thereof over the past year. Yeah, no question. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, 32% from three for Sterling. I mean, if he's, if he's shooting 42, 43, 44% from three, 
uh, and and also uh, yeah, bringing solid defense. And it's funny. I mean, you think back a couple of weeks ago. I remember we were talking about it. We had the the Bucks started with West Matthews and Kawhi, and uh, and then Sterling Brown was. I mean, like, he can defend. He's had he's had some uh, good moments defensively for sure. But similar to last year, when when DJ Wilson went through that really uh, rough shooting stretch. Um, for those guys that are sort of limited in their roles offensively, I mean, you got to hit the three because if you're not, someone else is going to come in and do so. And I think that's where both of those guys, I mean, DJ, not so much. Ersan's just played ahead of him, but certainly Sterling uh, with guys like Pat Connaughton um, and, and, you know, even Dante is just doing too many other things that allow him to, to stay in the lineup. So um, yeah, I mean, they're in a tough spot and, and yeah, as I said, it's tough to say, okay, well, here we go. Here's your random like 10 minutes tonight, um, you know, have an impact, but uh, just a little things, knocking down open shots, as you said, and, uh, and yeah, making plays uh, offensively, uh, not just, not necessarily the traditional passing assist, but uh, making something out, out of nothing. And again, we keep saying it, but Dante's been a guy that's done that. So, uh, we have, uh, this is a super quick one, actually. Ali Scrobus asks, who won the free throw contest in January? I wasn't at Bucks shoot around before the Spurs game. I was at Spurs shoot around, but I did see that Eric uh, tweeted out that it looked like George Hill was, uh, George Hill was parading uh, that, uh, that championship belt around. So it uh, looks like George Hill might be the free throw champion. And, and I don't think that that would really surprise anyone, given that he uh, feels like he's hardly... Uh, Mr. Shot at all. Um, what else we got here? We've got a question from Terry uh, Vols, I think it is. It says, uh, lots of people say the Bucks are a regular season team and dismiss their record. What do you think they need to do to improve in the playoffs? What do you think the NBA needs to do next year to get fans more into the regular season than just the playoffs? So that's interesting. I, I think um, as far as the Bucks being a regular season team, I think it's just simply the fact that uh, they lost last year and they won a whole bunch of games. And yes, it's Milwaukee, so people generally uh, the the I mean, we've said it. I mean, most of the most of the national media aren't really going to care about uh, little old Milwaukee. That's just what it is. And the fact that they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals and uh, after winning sixty games, then people like very lazily compare it to the, the Atlanta team and uh, because why? Because Mike Budenholz is the coach. It's easy to do. That's what they can do this year. The Bucks are winning a bunch of games, uh, dominating really 32 and six. I mean, they're on 70 win pace still, even after the loss uh, to San Antonio uh, the other day. So uh, it's just what it's going to be. This team isn't going to get that respect until they win a title. And then everyone will be like, Oh, wow, geez. Uh, we probably should have expected that they dominated dominated everyone for the whole regular season. So uh, I, I think as far as that's go, I, that's what I've been saying the whole time. I, I don't expect it's going to change, but because the Bucks lost last year, uh, they need to win in the playoffs. And uh, we mentioned all the time, there are some reasons why you, <laughs> you might be anxious about that uh, time coming eventually. But uh, up until then, I don't think there's much the Bucks can do to change that. Yeah. I mean, I think last year we saw in the Bucks are a, great team that is good enough to win a championship and uh you know side that I was reading I forget who it was someone some Toronto um some t- person who covers Toronto like had a tweet that sort of said you know the Bucks were like it was kind of a similar thing like when when is the Bucks narrative going to change or whatever or why, why is it the way it is and he just said you know Bucks were a team that was good enough to win a title and they lost to another team that was good enough to win a title and you know that's just the way it goes and um, you know, it's sort of one of those things that the, you know, 
history is is written by the victors or whatever it is you know and um unfortunately if you're a team that that loses then um you know it's people love to then kind of write history as you know there's some inevitability about it or uh you know you you just weren't good enough or you blew it or you whatever it is right i mean you're generally not going to get a lot of sympathy when you don't you don't win championships uh and i think for the bucks yeah i don't think they lost because there was some you know fatal flaw that will forever prevent them from from winning a title uh you know are there reasons that would give you pause relative to other teams yeah i I think so right i mean i think you know when you're talking about comparing to a team like the lakers or the clippers which have obviously two i'd say legitimate you know top 10 type talents and the bucks obviously only have one yeah you would rather have more guys who are you know perennial all-stars uh bucks don't have that bucks are still really really good uh in spite of that and you know is that something that is going to fundamentally limit the bucks from winning a championship we'll see right i mean again if uh if if they don't then people are going to trot that out uh, but uh you obviously if you're a bucks fan you just hope, hope they can overcome that so um so yeah i, I think it's i don't know it, it's just sort of you know, to a large extent, the only thing that will will stop people from talking about the Bucks that way is for them to win a championship, and um, that's a really simple and lack not particularly insightful statement. But I think for you know, especially national folks who don't want to be bothered having to talk about the Bucks or know the Bucks aren't necessarily good ratings, uh, you know, relative to if Giannis was in LA or something like that, then yeah, uh, I think there is uh, there is an agenda there, uh, and you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the other thing to just point out that, that I've always just thought is so ridiculous about that, that whole uh, Biden Atlanta thing anyway. And what, and first of all, we, we, we everyone knows that every Bucks fan knows that uh, the difference between that Atlanta team and this Bucks team is there's an MVP on this team. Okay. First of all, that's the thing uh, that differenti- differentiates them. And then secondly, the Hawks ran into LeBron James. It's like, who didn't lose to that guy in the playoffs? I mean, it's, it's, the, like it's, it's that simple. And then last year, um, yeah, it's, it's always quiet. Kawhi was great. We spoke about Kawhi a lot. But they also had friggin' Fred Van Fleet. I mean, come on. It's like it's, uh, that team won the title, you know. And it's, from that point, I can see why people get frustrated because it's, like, it's not like the Bucks. <laughs> it's only the Bucks. If the Bucks had a loss to the Celtics in the second round, then I would probably understand. But they steamrolled the Celtics after losing game one at home and then uh, played a, a really tough series against the Raptors, eventually went down to the team that won the championship. So, as you said, I mean, it's agenda-based and it's not really going to change. So, uh, just the second part of that question, though, in terms of um, how do they make the regular season uh, more interesting for people, I don't. Re- that's a really hard question for me to answer because I love the regular season. So, uh, I'm watching basketball every day. So, it's hard for me to really know why people aren't interested. The only thing I would say is... They should just make the the national TV schedule uh, more flexible and uh, and be able to just take teams like the Warriors uh, off TV once a week. And you know that's probably going to help you there. I mean, they've got to be able to change. For there's always surprise teams in the NBA, and uh, similarly, there's always uh, really good teams that uh, end up flopping and being bad. And when you get stuck, uh, you know, with the Warriors having whatever twenty national TV games, and they and no one even knows the the players that are playing for them. I'm going to say it's not great for the ratings. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting a lot. I think when, you know, and again, I imagine many of the people 
who listen to our pod or people who follow us on Twitter and kind of are aware of this. Um, I'm sure some people maybe aren't. Um, I, I think a lot of the talk um, among kind of the, you know, NBA Twitter um, inside baseball slash inside basketball in this case, folks, is about, well, the ratings will be better if the league's broadcast partners mm. like respected the quality of the game that they're broadcasting and wasn't, you know, weren't just populated by guys who complain that the current version of NBA basketball isn't like it was, you know, 20 years ago. Um, I, you know, I would say I find it pretty tiring listening to former players complain about the same predictable crap all the time. Like, you know, complaining about load management, complaining about guys taking too many threes, things like that. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who generally views the evolution of the sport as tending to be, um, increasing the quality of the play. Um, and, uh, and so I, I you know, again, I, I kind of get tired of, of listening to, you know, the, the Van Gundy Jackson combination. I even get tired of, you know, Chuck and Shaq and some of their, their perspectives on kind of the modern game. That said, do I think people don't watch the sport because of the way that the announcers talk about it on the games that are broadcast? I, I don't really think so. I don't, I don't think that has a, a big impact. Um, now, if it was better, I think that could only help. Um, but, you know, again, I, I think for the most part, I, I think a lot of this um, kind of comes down to, you know, just a combination of a lot of smaller factors. And as you mentioned, you know, showing tons of Pelicans and Warriors games on national TV yeah. uh, is not going to tend to, uh, to drive ratings up. And I was pretty cool that, you know, the Bucks Lakers game had some of the highest ratings the last couple of years. Right. Um, I thought that was a very cool thing that suggested that, yes, there is an appreciation of quality among NBA fans, among people that that turn on the games on tv and and again i think part of the challenge is just um there's just a ton of nba games they just don't tend not to be viewed as very special um football you know in america i think will always be king just because of the relative scarcity of games uh and you know it's just very easy to be a fan you know if you're a football fan you know can you're a texans fan i'm a packers fan um you know i can't do it because i'm not home in wisconsin but you know, if, if the Packers are on TV, well, I'm watching every damn game, right? Uh, but yeah. to have that level of investment with an NBA team or, God forbid, a baseball team, you know, <laughs> just the, the level of time you have to put in, and it's not yeah. just on Sundays, you know, which can be social events. It's just a totally different level of engagement. And, um, and so I think, you know, the, the nature of the sport, I think, creates a little bit of challenge that said i think there's a lot of things that that they could do you know like reducing the number of replays i think it's gotten you know the coaches challenges and 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 uh, the yeah, there's just so many things that they replay now that slows the game down which i'm sure for casual fans is annoying um i think there are definitely things that they could do uh to to potentially make it a, a bit more of a you know consumer friendly thing to watch uh on tv but um but yeah I think, again, a lot of it is just the number of games. I think if there are fewer games, um, you know, people would be more interested, if, uh, especially in kind of marquee matchups. And so whatever you can do to, to get those marquee matchups on television. Um, and, you know, just stupid stuff like, you know, Kawhi sitting out uh, that Bucks game on a – I think it was a back-to-back. Just 
hey, schedule makers, just don't have back-to-backs when a team is going to be on national television. I mean, that, yeah. that's it's not not exactly rocket science because you're just sort of asking for, for things like that to happen. So um, let me let me ask you this. So I always thought this is, is always an interesting question for fans who are not from the U.S. because in the U.S., I mean, the idea of like a midseason tournament or a cup competition that runs concurrent to a regular season, I mean, it's, it's a very foreign concept. Like we have that. In soccer, there's the this kind of open cup tournament that MLS teams and lower division teams play in at the same time as the MLS regular season. But um, this is obviously much more of a European thing, having you know like Champions League or domestic cups alongside uh, sort of these domestic leagues. Um, do you have any? See, I don't know how Aussie Rules football handles it. Um, I don't know if if there are cup competitions there so you'd have to enlighten me on that but I mean I personally am like I'm, I'm a big European soccer fan I don't know I mean the idea of a mid-season tournament eh, could be moder- moderately interesting to me uh, if it involves shorting the regular season more s- substantially uh, which which I'd be fine with to be honest I, I, you know I wouldn't worry too much about that um, what, what's your take on that I mean do you think this is a real answer to anything or is it just creating another packaged good that people, especially casual fans, are just not going to be that interested in, you know, a, a made up cup that has no history and is based on, uh, uh, you know, basically a, a, a precedent from other countries that U S fans really haven't shown, you know, much familiarity with uh, in any sport. Yeah. I mean, there's not anything like that, in Australian football, I mean, they used to do like a uh, like a preseason tournament, and there was like a, a trophy you win in the preseason. That again, uh, no one, including the teams, really gave a shit about because <laughs> it's not you know all you're worried about is like your best players getting injured before the actual season starts. And I think that that's the big thing about this. Like, I'm not a soccer fan anyway, so I don't really have any, um, uh, I guess, you know, emotional investment in any sport that that has this type of thing. The big thing I would say is. Like maybe if 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 we go back, uh, you know, eight years and the Bucks are just this middling franchise and they're never really going to win an, a, a title, like would I have interest in maybe? Oh, maybe the Bucks can win mid-season tournament. That's pretty cool because you're not going to win anything else. Like maybe, maybe then at that point I would have been like, oh, this is fun, a little knockout thing. Like I, I can get behind this, but right now, like the Bucks have Giannis and they're trying to win the real thing, and so for me. I can't really imagine watching any mid-season tournament and being a like anxious about whether the Bucks can win it, and then uh, b and not just being like terrified that one of your best players is going to get injured and derail the the main goal, which is to win the NBA championship. So I think that that's the difficult thing. Like if you're a contender um, and you have any emotional investment to a contending team, then my feeling is you're not going to be in support of this. And if the the prize is, as they're talking, like a little bit of money for the players, it's like, well, I don't really care about that. Like I, I'm worried about the, the long-term uh, results in this season, which for me is May and June. And yeah, that wasn't always the case. So I, I don't know, maybe, yeah, for the, for the lower ranked teams and, and younger teams, maybe it's a cool thing and maybe it would grow into something that people like, but uh, my initial reaction, and still now, I mean, when did they first mention this a month or so ago, maybe six weeks ago, uh, it hasn't really changed. It hasn't really grown on me at all. 
you know, one thing while watching the NFL um, kind of struck me, like I think the NFL's playoff format in terms of, um, you know, basically six teams per conference and then two get buys. And then, you know, you, you obviously have uh, kind of that wild card weekend is always very fun because you have pretty even matchups, even in kind of that first round. Yeah. Um, look, I have no expectation that the league is going to reduce the number of teams that make the playoffs. Like I think obviously they're talking about basically, you know, some of the play-in stuff actually increasing the number of teams that at least have a chance to get into the playoffs, uh, which I, I can understand as trying, trying to fight, you know, sort of that tanking incentive a little bit. Um, but I think if I was designing the NBA playoffs from scratch and didn't have to worry about, you know, losing revenue, things like that, um, I, I might suggest the top two teams get buys and then maybe you just have like a really short first round series. Like maybe it's, I don't know, three games or something like that. Uh, five games max. So that, cause you also don't want the buy teams to like be not playing for probably two weeks, yeah. <laughs> two yeah. weeks yeah, yeah. and just get totally rusty like that. That probably wouldn't be good either. And obviously in the NFL, it's only one week off. So it's not like they're sitting around for, for a really long time. Although, you know, teams that sort of rest guys, in the last week of the season and then get a buy. I mean, th- those teams that are in that position obviously um, would have potentially kind of two weeks off, but, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think that might be actually very interesting to me, like to, to really reward teams that dominate the regular season in that respect um, with more than just obviously the, the better seed in the first round uh, that might be interesting to me um, because yeah, I, I mean, that's one thing I actually think is cool about European soccer is, uh, winning leagues is is really valued and it's there's no playoff right like I mean uh, obviously there's cup competitions but to just win you know to be the best team over you know in most cases 38 games right you have 20 teams in a top flight you play each team twice um, that's really valued you to be the best team get the most points over that period and it's kind of funny that we don't put any value on being the best team well I mean we put some value but you know if, if you are the best team over 82 games, that almost just sort of sets you up to be disappointing if you don't then win, you know, four straight seven game series. Right. And so I don't know, it's, it's kind of, I, I wish there was more value placed on, on regular season, but again, I don't know how you, I don't know how you just make people care about the regular season uh, the way it's kind of currently configured. Um, you know, just, because uh, again it's it's just harder but i think if it was shorter then at least people would have probably more interest game to game and um you know i think from a ratings perspective you know if you're just concerned about national tv ratings um having fewer games i think would be easy because you're not necessarily reducing the total number of of games that you'd show on national tv just making them more important um but obviously the flip side of that is you know those local tv deals are obviously you know, those are for all, all game, all the other games. And if you're cutting out games and obviously there's, there's less money and, and obviously the, the gate revenue is, is probably the, you know, the other big piece of this, that, that teams don't want to lose. They don't want to lose, you know, five, 10 home games. Um, or, you know, if it's a 66 game schedule, it's eight home games. Understandably, like that's, that's real money. Uh, and, and there's a lot of money tied up in doing that. And um, I, it, it would be pretty remarkable if I think if the league did, I think what they were talking about a 78 game season um, in the context of the mid season tournament, which is kind of a, you know, very modest give back. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, it, once you do a seven game first round uh, best of seven and all this stuff, it just becomes hard economically 
to give up anything to to go to something else right because like personally i think the first round should be best of five i think it's just kind of overkill to do best of seven but you know again once you once you once you kind of lock in that money it's hard to go back yeah and uh, i mean i think just the, the the final point on that is that the i mean for all the talk of wanting to reduce the regular season it's not really what they're doing like the if they have a mid-season tournament and then they have the play-in to the playoffs anyway then you're not really reducing games. You're just trying to find a way to get more interest in the regular season. So I, I think that I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but they're, they're sort of playing around with different ideas that aren't necessarily going to achieve the goal that I think most players or whatever have suggested. But again, uh, it's, it's a money-making business. So I, I don't know what is actually going to be the answer there, but uh, I think they've got a meeting again in, in April or May or something like that, where maybe this will become a, a little more clear. All right, that's going to do us again for another week of Locked on Bucks. Still more mailbag stuff to come. So again, as I keep on saying, if we missed your question, don't worry about that. We are going to get to that. I'm going to put the rest of the mailbag out on the weekend. Normally, there isn't a weekend pod. We want to get this mailbag through uh, as we enter a, you know, a busy portion of the schedule for the Bucks. So look out for that on Saturday morning. There will be a podcast there for you guys to try and catch up on on the weekend. Bucks at Kings, Friday night, 9 p.m. The road trip continues. For Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll speak to you guys next time.